Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. We can receive his reign. There is riches and goodness and mercy in Christ. And I'm just saying, if you don't know him today, today can be that day that you receive the reign of Christ, the salvation of Christ. So let us pray this morning as we get into the word. Father, Lord, we praise you for all that you have poured out on us in Christ, that we have received all heavenly riches in Jesus, that, there, that we do not lack in Christ. And I pray for every believer in the room that, that struggles with that reality, like myself, Lord, that we this morning would put off unbelief and that we would believe in the reality of Christ and that we have received all in Him. All faith, all hope, all mercy, all forgiveness. Lord, we've been given a new name. Lord, I pray as we open the word now, Lord, that you would illuminate the text of Scripture, God, that that you would unclog our ears and our hearts, God, that we would hear and receive what you have said. And Lord, as as Josh spoke earlier, Lord, we ultimately want the spotlight to be on Christ and Christ alone, for he alone is worthy. So be with us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Point Church. Um, if I don't know you, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, today's a, uh, an exciting day as we kick off a new sermon series. So we are, we are entering into the, the Gospel of Mark, which is exciting. I mean, I'm, like, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be in the Gospel of Mark. If you would, turn in your copy of the Scripture to Mark chapter 1. Um, the last couple of weeks, we went through our, our mission statement as kind of a vision series to kind of right set our hearts uh, on being disciples who make disciples. Uh, the Lord showed out last week, we were talking about making disciples specifically of our children, and there was kind of a call for us to take up this mantle of, of, of caring and discipling our children. And I, I just want to praise the Lord for what he did in the hearts of people. Um, Missy told me that there was several new volunteers. Uh, there may be several more in the room that weren't able to catch up with Missy. But um, if, if you uh, are, are interested and feel a burden to be a part of the corporate discipleship of our children at Point Church, please See Missy, she'll, she's in the back at the check-in car. She's in a red sweater in the back right now. Uh, so afterwards, you can go see her. But thank you all. Praise God for what he's doing. Uh, and we, we anticipate what he's going to do in the hearts of our children. Amen? And like Josh said today, we get to celebrate some stuff that he's already done. Amen? It's exciting. So Mark, man, the gospel of Mark. So we are kicking it off. It is going to be a fast-paced journey through the, the Gospel of Mark. 
essentially we're going to be answering two questions. And those two questions are, who really is Jesus and how do we follow him? And the reason, uh, for one, that's just thematically what Mark addresses in the gospel. But for us as a church, right, there are folks in here that have been going to church longer than I've been alive. You've probably read the book of Mark more than the years that I have existed, right? And so there's a threat for us that we may be a little all too familiar, right? There may be somebody in the room who is yet to, to don the pages of Mark, The goal of this series is that we all would be confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. Whether Mark is a well-worn section in your Bible, or if you've never flipped those pages, we want to be confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. So I said it's fast-paced. It's a journey because the book of Mark is actually a documented journey in which we travel with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so that journey's kind of broken up into three parts. We're starting out in Galilee. And it's fast-paced because Mark himself writes the gospel in a rather fast-paced manner. It is, it is a whole lot less about description, and it's a lot more about him narrating events, what is transpiring. He uses the word immediately within the Gospel of Mark 41 times. This is a, so we want to move at the pace in which the author writes, okay? So uh, if I broke down, as I've been kind of breaking down the preaching schedule for the book of Mark, if I broke it down into every uh, phrase and verse, I mean, we're talking about a solid, on the, on the short side, a solid year and a half and probably 80 plus sermons. We have, have made a commitment that we're, we're, we're preaching 30-ish sermons. I don't want to lock myself in too tight. But we want to keep the pace of the excitement, the the reality of the events that transpire, and and really the anticipation of the fulfillment of Christ. Amen? So the invitation is to come be a part. I love one writer said this about the Gospel of Mark, that it's it's like a docudrama consisting of noteworthy clips Uh, as well as typical and representative events, snatches of speeches or dialogue and commentary. Uh, And so in modern language, essentially, Mark, like, he would be a fan of employing, like, that really well-placed meme or gif, right? Just the one that just drives it home, that you send it in a text thread and everybody knows. Oh, that, that just, that shut down the argument, right? Mark was one who is constantly narrating what Jesus did in order to allow the actions of Jesus to speak for themselves. And we're excited. So the question is, who's Mark? Just, just as we enter into this time, who is this fellow whose name's at the top of this gospel? Mark is a young man. He's a young disciple. He is not necessarily an eyewitness as in the way that the other gospel writers are. He's actually writing this as the, from the eyewitness account of Peter. He was a disciple of Peter. Peter actually raised him up in the faith. But we see Mark all throughout the New Testament, we, we know historically that his mother hosted the early church in their home. 
We see most likely in Mark 14, there's an account where Jesus is arrested. And there's a young man who is following close behind the arrested Jesus until he is seized. And the young man takes off running, leaving his clothes behind. Many scholars believe that that is actually Mark's account of himself at the arrest of Jesus. We know that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, the encourager. Who tra- he traveled with, with uh, Barnabas and Paul on the first missionary journey of Acts 13 until he became homesick and left, which eventually kind of created a little bit of a rub between Paul and Barnabas. We see he rejoins cousin Barnabas on a second missionary journey. We see his name mentioned throughout other New Testament epistles that he is a faithful gospel colleague of Paul and Peter. Even Paul himself, who didn't want to take him on the second missionary journey because he had basically left before the first one got going, later on Paul recounts that he is a brother and of great value. But the thing I want to note about Mark and even the way that he writes this gospel, what stands out to me is his passion and intensity for Christ and his gospel. You see, this was clearly a young man who had encountered the Son of God. And and because of that, this was the conclusion that was drawn up. And honestly, this is our main point of the entire sermon today. And really, the thrust of this entire series is that Jesus is the Son of God and we must follow him. This was the conclusion that this young man, Mark, had come to as he encountered this one, Jesus of Nazareth. And so my question as we begin this journey, all right, so I want you to put on like your journey caps, go with me. The question I have for you, every one of you, not just corporately, but like I need you each to answer this question in your own heart. What will you do when you encounter the Son of God? What will you do? As we journey through the gospel of Mark, what will you do when you encounter the Son of God? I'm going to do my best to pause throughout this sermon and for us to kind of pull back from just being an audience listening to some preacher and really attempt to put our feet in the dirt of Galilee for us to really assess What would happen? How would we respond when we encounter the Son of God? Okay. Now, let's let's begin. The first thing that I want us to see is the, the very clear fact, Mark does not hold any punches here in Mark chapter 1, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. If you read with me in verses 1 through 8, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's kind of hearkening to this, the, the beginning of Genesis, and we see John kind of hearkens back in John 1, in the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Cat's out of the bag. Mark leads out with the definitive statement. Jesus is the Son of God. He says, as it is written, so he's prophesying from Isaiah. He says, as is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, 
Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country from Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, the first thing that we need to understand is that Jesus is the Son of God. And we see a couple of things in this little section. First, there's these announcements. Mark himself makes an announcement as the writer of this gospel. And that's very plain. The beginning of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, and what, what we may miss as a non, primarily non-Jewish Gentile people in the room is something that most likely in this day, when this was penned in red, that group would not have missed that when we say Jesus is the Son of God, that there is absolute link to the Messiah, the hoped-for one, the heralded one, the one who would come. And so when Mark makes this statement just plain as can be, like it's not even contested, we need to take weight of that. So there's this announcement from Mark, but we also see kind of the announcement of the announcement. Look, he begins to quote a prophet about a coming prophet who will come before Jesus. And he quotes Isaiah chapter uh, chapter 40 about how this one will come and this messenger will come from the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. See, this prophet spoke Not only that the Messiah would come, but in this particular case, in this this really, I mean, down, nitty-gritty detail, that there would actually be a front-runner, a forerunner, one who would come before the Lord Jesus and would actually preach and call people to the way of Jesus ahead of the Messiah. So we see this announcement from Mark, we see this announcement from the prophets, and then we see John. This one named John. Some call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, a wild man. Is is anybody watching The Chosen by chance? A few? Good. And even in The the Chosen, when John enters the scene, I mean, this guy is disheveled. He looks like he has... Uh, not showered in a very long time. I mean, and they, like even one of the eventual disciples tease about like the crazy one, John, that guy out in the, the country, out in the desert. But this John appears and he's baptizing in the wilderness or out of town. And he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin. And he's announcing that the Messiah is coming and he's saying, hey, make your way straight. Like, repent. Turn and be baptized. Repent of your sin. Repent of your self-righteousness. Repent of you attempting to justify yourself by your law-keeping and wait for this one to come and rescue you. He's coming. He was announcing what would take place. 
See, I get the sense about John the Baptist, it's interesting because he had his own disciples, guys that followed him, and the crowds responded. People were flocking to him to be baptized. But I get the sense that John the Baptist was not a looker. He wasn't necessarily one who who brought a whole lot to the table uh, in a way that would really draw a lot of people except by the powerful testimony of Christ the Messiah. So we see this announcement that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. It's, and, it, and it's this, Mark lays out this picture of, of announcements from the Old Testament, from his own mouth, and ultimately from Peter's mouth. And we see even John the Baptist's ministry is a ministry that is there to emphasize that Jesus is the Son of God. And now, here we see in verse 9 that Jesus swiftly, or that Mark takes us swiftly to the baptism. So, so there's these announcements that Jesus is indeed the Son of Man, or the Son of God. And then in verse 9 it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And so, like quickly, we see Mark say it in this text, immediately. He shifts events to the baptism of Christ. And I want us to see in this baptism, not only is there the announcement, but there's an affirmation and there's an anointing that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. The first thing that we see in this baptism is the anointing of the Spirit. But before I get there, I want to I ask a question. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Because, see, John the Baptist was calling sinners to the water to repent of their sins and, and essentially entrust their hope and their faith in the coming Messiah. Did Jesus need to be baptized for his sins? And the crowd says, no, that's good. That was a quiz. Jesus did not need to be baptized because of his sin. But I want you to understand that Jesus chose to be baptized to identify with sinful people. Listen to this this great... In Romans 6, we find out that baptism, according to Paul, is an image where you go down into the water to go to the grave in death, right? And that we, when you come out of the water, it's a picture of resurrection and new life. It's what Paul tells us in Romans 6. So as Jesus enters in to identify with sinners, he's basically taking the symbolisms of baptism ahead of his work on the cross, and he says, hey, I'm going to the grave. I'm taking on the sins of man, the one who did not sin, who became sin. I'm going to die and go to the grave. And I'm going to resurrect and I'm going to come out alive in order that you can be made alive. So here's this beautiful quote from Tim Chester. Jesus identified with us in his baptism 
okay, as a sinner, in order that we could identify with him in our baptism. So later when our children go to be baptized, they're identifying with the Lord Jesus that they have died to themselves and to their sin. And when they come out of the water, they have been resurrected to new life. In who? In Christ. You see the power and the richness of Jesus' baptism. Don't miss it. Don't, don't, don't somehow misunderstand the beauty that's at play when the Lord Jesus says, hey, this is what's going to happen. What I'm doing in the water is just a foretaste of what I'm going to do on the cross in order that we can be made alive. Amen? Because he's the son of God. So, so John, John the Baptist, he, he dunks Jesus, and he comes up out of the water, and it says immediately, immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And I need you to understand just what incredible heavenly ramifications are at play. First and foremost, we see we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all working in unison, in harmony, in community to testify that Jesus is the Son of God. As, the, as he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit falls down like a dove on the Lord Jesus and dwells him. Isaiah tells us that the Messiah that's going to come is actually going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this case, we see that filling take place. So there's this, there's this anointing of the Holy Spirit on the Lord Jesus, and then there's this affirmation of the Father who speaks blessing over His Son. He says, this is, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm pleased. Like this is Father, Father God's only begotten Son. For everybody who's in earshot, the God of the universe has just spoken that this Jesus from Nazareth, this relatively obscure guy, this one here is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. Isaiah 42 quotes and says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And listen to this. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He'll bring justice to the nations. So we see the announcement of, of Jesus being the Son of God. We see the anointing by the Spirit reiterating that he's the Son of God. We see this affirmation and these words of blessing from the Father that Jesus is the Son of God. And then immediately Matthew's description of the baptism uh, gives a little more uh, detail. But immediately the Spirit takes the Lord Jesus whoop, to the wilderness. He goes to be tempted by none other than the enemy, the evil one, Satan himself. The wilderness has always been a place of trial, temptation, and testing. As a matter of fact, when we read, if you read in the Matthew account, it, it, it goes through all the temptations 
that, that the enemy throws at the Lord Jesus, or at least several big ones that it throws at the Lord Jesus. And I need you to understand, there's something really spectacular if you read that account, and maybe if you look over in the footnote of your Bible in that section, you'll see a lot of references from Deuteronomy. And, and why, the reason that's there is because the temptations that the enemy threw at the Lord Jesus were temptations that were thrown at Israel while they were also in the wilderness. The Lord has brought them out of Egypt, and they are now moving towards the promised land, and temptation after temptation arises, and what happens? But Israel, in their unbelief and their hard-heartedness, they fail to entrust themselves that the Lord God is actually in control, and that he will care for them, and they failed. But here's what's beautiful. At every place where they fail, the Lord Jesus, as he's being tempted in the wilderness, prevails. Every attempt that they, they fell short of entrusting themselves to the one true God, the Lord Jesus entrusts himself. And he quotes scripture, and it's a beautiful picture of not only uh, of just him, his, his conquering of the authorities, but his demonstration that he is the son of God. Like, like this temptation is almost, I mean, it's like putting the exclamation point at the end of Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. It was, it was announced. He was anointed. It was affirmed by the Father. He was tempted. And yet we see that He prevails because He's the Son of God. Amen? So, imagine this, all right? This is one of those step back moments. Imagine this. You are in Jesus' time. Like these events are all real time. You're, you've got sandals on, not boots. Right? You're, I mean, it's, it is not 40 degrees outside. It's dusty. Imagine that you either just witnessed these things happening. Right? You either just witnessed the baptism or you overheard the murmurings and the storytelling of all these accounts spreading through town. I'll tell you, that's one of the, the benefits of watching that Chosen series. Not that it's, it's not the Bible, but they, I think they're fairly faithful to it. But it helps you get a picture of like kind of the color commentary of what it would be like in the day of Jesus. Right? There's, this, there's this guy named Jesus of Nazareth in which everybody says nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? I mean, that's like the, the, the long-standing quip. But yet these miraculous, exceptional, heavenly things transpire around this one unknown kind of mystery man. And the question I have for you as, as the, the announcement and the anointing and the affirmation and, and his, the Lord Jesus uh, enduring temptation and trial, the question is, how do you yourself, after witnessing or, or, or hearing it secondhand, how do you yourself respond to all of these things surrounding this one Jesus from Nazareth? There's a couple of options. You could fall into the, 
intriguing but suspect camp, right? You could fall into the, hey, I'm heavily religious and really can't acknowledge it, but I'm fascinated. You could go just full-on rejection because it just it's too disruptive to your life, to your events, to whatever. And the other option is that you could take them not just at his word, but the word of the witnesses, the word of God himself who spoke, and you believe it and you follow him. So which one is it for you as you encounter this one, Jesus? And very quickly, Mark just moves right along into the public ministry of the Lord Jesus. And what is that public ministry made? We, we find out throughout Mark there's, there's a lot of different aspects to his ministry. But here he gives this synopsis. In verse 14, now after John was arrested, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. And I don't want us to miss the message. The Son of God has now started his public ministry. The Son of God, in starting his public ministry, we know if we're to look ahead or to read ahead, that the start of his public ministry is the start of his journey towards Jerusalem, the start of his journey towards the cross. He's a man on a mission. But what is he doing according to Mark? He's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's preaching and proclaiming the gospel. What is the good news? Anybody? Like, what's it mean, the, 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 the word good? Or, did I say good news? Man, I gave away my, my own punchline. What is the gospel? It's the good news. Man. It's the good news. The Lord Jesus was preaching the good news, and this is what the good news consists of. The time is fulfilled. What, Corey, what are we talking about? What time is fulfilled? So you see, from, from the time that Adam and Eve took of the fruit, disobeyed God, and the, that sin enters the world, from that moment on, there has been a message of a coming one Messiah who's going to right all the wrongs and bring about God's salvation. And the Lord Jesus is saying, the time is now. He goes on and he says, not only is the time fulfilled, but the kingdom of God is at hand. The Lord Jesus himself is the bringer of the kingdom. He, he is the usher. Think about an usher at like an, a, an event, or maybe a wedding or something. They, they usher you to your seat. He is ushering us to the kingdom. Listen to the way that, remember how he teaches us to pray he says that our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. I'm tracking, okay, we got it. The kingdom, your kingdom come. Your will be done on where? On earth as it is in. You see, part of the proclamation is that the king of the kingdom has arrived and he's bringing the kingdom that is fully fulfilled fully perfect in heaven, and he's bringing it where? To earth. He's bringing it to earth. 
He brings it down to us. Amen? Man, that's good news. That's the gospel. And he calls us. So those first two things are just about truth about him. And then the third thing, he calls us to repent and believe. Corey, what does it mean to repent? It means acknowledging your rebellion against God. Hey, if that sounds foreign, I, 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 that's okay. I need you to understand, family, that according to the scriptures, we all were born into sin. We all are default enemies of God. And that we must acknowledge to repent is to go, holy smokes, I am standing on the wrong side of the God of the universe. You acknowledge it and to repent literally means to turn from yourself, turn from your sin, and move towards the Lord Jesus. And he says to believe. Believe what? The gospel. What's the gospel? The good news. Turn to Christ and come under the rule and reign of the king of the kingdom. You're going to hear in the baptism that we ask our children, is Jesus your king? Because see, we've a lot of times whittled down salvation to just be this fire insurance so we, get, we don't go to hell. But I need you to understand that our salvation speaks to our relationship to the king. That we call on him to forgive us of our sins and we want to come under the security, under the benefit, under the new name of the king of the kingdom. And if our salvation somehow separates us out that we don't actually have to yield to the king, then we, uh, we really need to check our salvation. Because a part of being saved, a part of repenting of ourself is repenting that I'm no longer in charge of my life, but the king of the kingdom is. He says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe Romans 10.9 tells us this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because see, Jesus is truly the Son of God. Right? That was our first point. Because that is all true. Here's the very short takeaway. We must follow him. Y'all can say it with me. We must follow him. If he really is who not only he said, not only the witnesses, not only the Father and the Spirit said, we must follow him. That's the only appropriate response to him being the Son of God. So, listen to what happens Jesus, in verse 16, he's passing along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little further, he sees James and, and the sons of Zebedee, John and his brother, and they were in their boats mending the nets and immediately he called to them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. We must follow Jesus. Now here's, this is where I need us to kind of go back into time and, and realize that like all of the scriptures haven't been fulfilled. The Jesus hasn't gone to the cross. The knowledge of what's coming is not yet, we don't have it yet. These brothers, these followers, they don't have it yet. 
They've got more questions than they've got answers at the point in time in which Jesus says, hey, stop doing the only thing you know to do and follow me. Consider that. What would you do in that moment? You're, you're, you're doing the family trade, you're in the service, whatever it is, and the, this obscure man from Nazareth walks by who some crazy wild stuff has transpired, and he says, hey, William, follow me. What do you do? These disciples did not demand the full background. They did not demand to, for him to connect all the dots and fill in all the blanks. They didn't demand signs and wonders. Now, we, we, we're going to learn very shortly that there was a big gap in their understanding of who Jesus was. Like, like they, they, these dudes were rough around the edges. They had a lot of stuff that they had to sort out. But hey, you know who else has a lot of stuff that needs to be sorted out? Me and you. But I want you to see the simplicity of the response. What did they do? They followed him. They followed him. What did they know? They knew that this one, this obscure guy, has been affirmed, confirmed, anointed by God, the Father, and the Spirit, that he is the Son of God. And that's about it. And you know what? We're going to follow him. And they dropped all that they knew and they followed him. How about you? Each of you in the room. I don't care if you've attended church your entire life or if today is your first Sunday. How about you? Because you have just now encountered the Son of God through Mark chapter 1. You now know as much as Peter and, and, and like all, you, you know as much as the disciples know at this moment. And the question I have is how do you respond? Will you drop everything? You notice these guys drop their livelihood. And in, in many cases, uh, we don't have to necessarily do that. But we need to be willing, Right? But in, for them, what it meant to follow them was dropping everything. And for what I'm saying is for you, you, we, me, need to drop everything and follow the Lord Jesus. Will you do it? Why don't we pray? Father, we praise you for the Lord. We thank you for his goodness. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his his ministry. God, we thank you, Lord, for his full obedience to you, going all the way to the cross to take our reproach, to take our sin, to take our shame. And I'm just praying for everybody in the room, whether they are a professing Christian or not. You have encountered the Son of God according to Mark 1. How do you respond? Lord, I pray that that question echoes through the hearts of every person in here. 
And I praise God for the ones who, who can heartily say, I have responded in repentance and belief. And I pray for those that are, that are unsure. Maybe they prayed a prayer. Maybe, maybe it's, it's a little fuzzy. Maybe they, they, they haven't really given their lives fully to following him, but they, they did something as a child or as a teenager. And I'm just praying, meet them right now where they are in this room. And I pray that you would confirm that they are in Jesus, or I pray, God, that you confirm that they still need to repent and believe and follow him. Lord, both answers are your kindness because you don't leave us where we were. You lead us to yourself. Lord, and I'm praying you draw us now. God, we love you and we praise you. Christ's name, amen. Hey, we're going to sing, and then we're going to go celebrate three lives who have encountered Jesus and have decided to follow him. And the resounding answer I hear from our children, these three children about baptism is this childlike faith that goes, hey, I have repented of my sins, I've called on Jesus, and I must obey and be baptized. And it just reverberates the words that we saw from Jesus last week. Let the little children come. That if we want to enter the kingdom, we must have hearts like theirs. Childlike faith, independence. These three, they don't have all the answers. They're like these, these young disciples. There's a lot of dots that need to be connected for them. But you know what? Jesus was worth following and obeying. And so I'm, I'm just saying if the invitation, because we're, we're going to swiftly move to the pool, but after that, if you have questions, if you need to be prayed for, find me at the end. Find Kevin there in the back. He's in a blue shirt. Josh is here. Come grab us. We'd love to talk to you, encourage you, pray with you, give you next steps in following Jesus, okay? But now let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.